welcome to the Soar Community Network podcast with your host, Malie Ponpadit. Here, inside our community, we help each other see, own, articulate, and release our unique message and mission into the world. Uncover your gifts and talents, release your passions, own your purpose, and let's soar together. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the SOAR Community Network podcast. I am your host, Molly Pompadit, and today we have Lori Seitz with us. Lori, when she was a child, her report cards regularly said, Lori is very bright, but she needs to learn how to speak up in class. <laughs> in 2003, she launched Zen Rabbit Baking Company and introduced the world to the gratitude cookie. I'm going to ask you more about that. <laughs> Upon starting that business, she forced herself to go to networking events and endured many awkward conversations in hopes of meeting clients. Eventually, after spending thousands of dollars and stomach-churning hours, she figured out how to comfortably manage networking situations. Today, she is known as the quiet girl's guide and not only feels comfortable meeting new people she actually enjoys it as a networking strategy coach and speaker she helps other quiet girls get past the fear of networking so they can find true success thank you so much for being on our podcast Thank you for having me. I'm delighted to be here. Thank you so much. Well, I would like to start with this idea as an entrepreneur and a business owner, the idea of pivoting. So, you know, you were once known as Zen Rabbit Baking Company, and now it is uh, all about the quiet girls. Um, Let's talk a little bit about how Zen Rabbit started for you, and then uh, share with us when it was time to make a change. Sure, yeah. I started Zen Rabbit because I was actually looking to pivot out of something else, which I was working in broadcasting as an on-air radio person in South Florida, but I was really only working, filling in, working overnight hours, working for $10 an hour. Mm -hmm. And at that point, I'm like, all right, something has to change. I can't keep doing this. This It's crazy hours, not very much money. What else can I do? And I started thinking about this family recipe that I had for this butter sugar cookie that people had said when I'd make them for friends and family would say, Oh my gosh, these are so good. You should sell these. You know, it was every food entrepreneur's story. You should sell this. (laughs) So I started looking around for what can I do with this recipe? It wasn't my goal to become the next Mrs. Fields, but with my marketing background, I thought, Oh, I can use this and create gift packages to help business people say thank you to their clients and make it into a nice gift package and use the cookie and market it that way. And so that's how I got into that business. So how, how did that, okay, so here you are, now you're baking cookies. When the business grew, how did you scale that? Originally, it was, as most I think most businesses start out, it was, it was me in a kitchen baking <laughs> the cookies by myself. Right. And, then, and then I brought in someone else to help me 
make the cookies, but we were still rolling them out by hand and putting them on the trays, everything by hand. And then I bought a machine that actually did the rolling part, but we were still doing a lot of the other parts manually. And then I graduated to finding a contract baker. I, I referred to them as my baking partner, but I was contracting out the baking to another company, a commercial baking company. So they would bake the cookies and then I would still do the packaging part. And then I eventually graduated to, I had a, a contract baker baking the cookies and then I had a fulfillment company actually doing the packaging part and putting everything together and shipping them out so that I didn't have to be running to FedEx every day at five o'clock going, here are the boxes you need to send out today. And <laughs> <laughs> there were many days of that. So yeah, so it was just gradually over time and I ran that business for 11 years Wow. So, yeah, it took a while. I mean, I had three different bakers over that time, contract bakers, and each one was better than the, the one before. And building that and building that until it got to the point where I was, I just, it didn't make sense to continue it, even though I had all of those great pieces in place. For whatever reason, the business wasn't generating the return that I wanted to see. Mm -hmm. And so after all those years, I said, all right, I, I have had enough. I've reached the point of have having, having enough with this business and it's time for me to move on and do something else. And I didn't know what that something else was. I just knew it was the end of the time for Zen Rabbit, Rabbit Baking Company. And, and I didn't know what else what was going to happen next. I had to just trust that something was going to come along and be in that space of not knowing. Which, So let me ask this question. This is really um, a, a powerful point here. So you've, you, you knew something was off. You knew that you hadn't really um, gotten to the level that you desired, right? So mm -hmm. not to take away from the success or not being successful. It's not even about that. But you somehow knew that it really was at, at a place where you just felt, okay, it's not reaching what I had had in mind. It's not reaching the potential in my mind. And so making the decision to close it, what was that like for you emotionally? Um, like you said, you had had enough. So was it really kind of a place where you felt a little bit relieved just to make the decision or was it painful? It took a long time because it was, it was like my baby. I didn't want to admit that I had to close it. So it did feel a bit like failure because why can't I get this to work? better. Why can't I do this? I mean, for, I, I'm a marketer and I can't market my own business. This is crazy. And it was really a friend, a very close friend said to me at one point, this is like watching you in an abusive relationship. And what she meant by that was every time I would do something, I would say, okay, well, if I just do this marketing campaign, or if I just do market to this if I just go to this conference or if I just exhibit at this um, event, then everything will turn around or I'll get a foothold or, you know, these things will happen. This is what I expect to happen. And it never did. And I kept just kept saying, okay, well, wait, if I just do this one other thing, mm. I mean, it, it, there was no, it, no, <laughs> it just never, 
I could hand the business over to you perhaps, and you could have turned it into a multi-million dollar business. I don't know, but for whatever reason, it just wasn't working for me. And I, she said that to me and it probably took me another six months before I was really willing to accept that that was true, that, that it was time. And, and it still felt like failure. So what, 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 what steps or how did you nurture yourself back from that sense of failure into a sense of empowerment to figure out what was next? Like, what did you, how did you do that? Because I feel like we, we dip into that place of maybe even perhaps a sense of despair because the failure is so big. I mean, after 11 years, I can only imagine, right? But yeah. how do you pick yourself back up? Um, what, what, what tools did you use? Did you have support from friends? How did it happen where you can see clearly again and say, okay, I've got to get myself together and I've got to move forward? Yeah, well, uh, the universe has an interesting way of moving things. <laughs> <laughs> At the same time, it, it, I didn't close the business because of this, but at the same time, my mom was diagnosed with leukemia and mm. eight weeks later, she passed away. So I'm so sorry. So at the, you know, uh, I'm good. I'm good. <laughs> this was already, this is three years ago. Um, so there were a lot that took my focus off. It was like, okay, well, I'm closing the business. And now I have this other thing to focus on because my brother and I had to manage all of the, um, you know, everything that goes with that, not just the, the arrangements, but then cleaning out her, her house and preparing it for sale. And, and that took several months. And since I, he was working full time, it was, it kind of fell more on me because I had the ability to do that because now I was closing the business. So I didn't have to pay attention to that. And I had the time to run back and forth between Virginia and Florida to take care of that. So <laughs> Wow. So my, my focus was diverted for several months after that. Um, and then I had the opportunity to mourn both things at the same time. Mm -hmm. So, but even, yeah. So then I found an opportunity again, you know, I just, it's just marvelous. And I say that not in like, like amazing, but it's a marvel to look at again, the way things happen. I found an opportunity to do some freelance copywriting and freelance marketing for a company locally. And so I still had the opportunity to be doing something as opposed to just sitting around right. wondering, you know, twiddling my thumbs. And I was still able to use my, my writing abilities and to engage myself in, in doing something and it wasn't full time. So that was great. And it allowed me to have some income coming in. I mean, fortunately I also have a husband who works, so I wasn't, I didn't have to be worried about paying the mortgage, but it was really more about engaging myself in something that would stimulate my brain right. 
and yeah, and and just kind of give me a holding place for uh, to allow me to be until the next thing, the next big thing made itself apparent. You know, Lori, I think it's really interesting that you share the story because I do feel that timing and the universe and things really fall into place, even things we cannot control, right? Even things that are um, painful, painful, Mm -hmm. painful. And the fact that you had made this decision, this had happened, and you really did. We can look back and say it now. Of course, in the moment, it's just very hard to see it this way. But um, imagine that you didn't have any time to really mourn and grieve and take the time that you need to take care of yourself, to honor your mother, to really be and do the things that are, are really holding a space for you today to be as strong as you are and to move forward as, as much as you have. Um, but, you know, of course, I'm only acknowledging this because I've lived through the same thing with my father. He passed away of cancer. It was very quick. It was three weeks. So I really, really I mean it when I say I totally understand where you're coming from. And the gift in all of that is really being able to have you have the time. Um, because sometimes we push aside our pains and our worries and our struggles, and we just kind of keep going and throw work on top of it. And then we don't deal with those things and it it just seeps out of us through the years and we get sick. So you had some time. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. And even with all of that going on and doing the freelance work, it still was in the back of my mind just because I, I don't know if it's, if it's probably just part of being human, Mm -hmm. but also my, my characteristic, my personality, I still was like, Okay, what am I going to do next? What, what happened? What, what's happening next? What am I going to do? <laughs> right. Well, you had you had mentioned um, in some of your notes, like it felt like you were wandering through the desert for 40 years, yes. <laughs> you know, yeah. and just like, what the heck is going on? Like, I'm feeling lost. What's my purpose? What am I here for? I thought I was yeah. going down this track and then that didn't work. And then I have this major loss. And it's just like, what the heck's going on? So, you know, what what was it? What what's the story behind the Quiet Girls? Like, how did you take the time? How did you explore to really arrive there? Yeah, I I have known for a long time that one of the things I've always felt like I'm supposed to be doing is speaking from a stage. And the interesting thing is that even if I was somewhat intimidated to talk to strangers. I never really felt, I I do have a little bit of apprehension to get on a stage if I don't know what I'm going to say, but, but I really feel pretty comfortable with a microphone on a stage. So I knew that was what I really ultimately wanted to do. And I had stuck a toe into it maybe 20 years ago and then I didn't pursue it. But what was I going to talk about? which seems kind of ridiculous when you think about, okay, most people who become professional speakers are speaking about something that they're really passionate about or about an experience they've had in their life that brought lessons with it. And they talk about that. And I was still struggling going, okay, well, what's my message? What is my thing? And the whole time when I had Zen Rabbit, I would do presentations and talk about 
appreciation marketing and the importance of saying thank you to clients and developing stronger relationships with your clients. But that wasn't so exciting to me to, that, that I wanted to make that my, that continue to have that as my topic. Mm-hmm. I felt like there was something more that I should be speaking about. And what was that? And that, so I struggled with that for several months. I signed up with a one-year program. The National Speakers Association has a one-year speaker academy program. And I signed up with that, hoping that that would help me find my direction. And ultimately, it took several more months. But I was on a webinar. And the same weekend as the webinar, I also watched, I don't even know how I came across this video online, but the person was asking in the video, what is the thing that you can do? Or what is the the skill that you have that other people would pay you to learn about? What is that thing? And it just started coming to me that my thing my, I call it the, cur- my Curly's one thing. I don't know if you have ever seen the movie City Slippers. Oh, yeah. yes, yes. Okay, so <laughs> the old cowboy, Curly, and they go to him and ask him what the, the meaning of life is. And he said, well, it's just one thing. And they're all, you know, hanging on his every word. Well, what is it? Well, it's different for everyone. So my Curly's one thing is building relationships. That's the thing that I am great at, and I don't say that from an egotistical place, but that is what I've been blessed with being able to do in personal relationships as well as business relationships. And it's sort of what I was doing with Zen Rabbit. Mm -hmm. A piece of that, a big piece of that was building relationships. But then the networking part where you're starting that relationship, and I started thinking, okay, well, who would be who can I help with this information? And I was thought back to, okay, it, it was intimidating for me to build those business relationships initially to start them, to walk into a situation where I don't know anybody in that room and you're standing there looking around with your name tag in your hand going, okay, everybody else looks like they know who they know everybody else. And they're in conversations. How do I break into a conversation? How do I become part of this group that, you know, I cannot, now that I know how to do that, I can help other people do that. And then the, developing the relationship from there, I'm, I'm great at that. I can help other people. I don't think because I, it's so easy for me. I didn't realize that not everybody knows how to do that or knows how to do that comfortably or in the best way, like strategically in terms of the business. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, 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 and that's, yeah, it's fascinating because the, the quiet girls, um, it's really neat to see that you've been able to find the niche group 
of people you want to serve because I think that's one of the challenges with marketing and working with uh, clients and even ourselves, like really honing in on who are we ultimately serving uh, that would resonate with who we are as people and with our skill sets and our experience. And I just, you know, I, I love the fact that it's pretty clear when we when we see the quiet girls and the quiet girl guide, you know, I can imagine my friends who are intimidated with networking or much more introverted. And um, I used to be one of those girls, so I can totally understand. Like when I see that, I'm thinking, oh my gosh, this is going to help a lot of people. That is so cool that you have that. Now, when you talk about this concept, I know you have lots of great uh, free um, reports. You have one that's called Five Relationship Building Mistakes Quiet Entrepreneurs Make. I want to make sure that we give that out because I think there are a lot more quiet entrepreneurs. It's just that because they're quiet, we don't hear much about them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we can hear about the ones that are like, hey, look at me, you know. Right. Um, but I think it's really important, and I know that we want to make sure that we offer that. It's on the quietgirls.com forward slash five mistakes. Mistakes. I definitely want people to have access to that. So uh, we'll reiterate that at the end of the podcast. Now, as you were thinking about the people you wanted to serve, uh, did that come from your personal journey? Because when I read your bio, you know, we talked a little bit about what your um, your report cards, your teachers used to say about you. And it just tells a lot about who you were back then. And are you tapping to that, you know, little girl inside of you when you think of the quiet girls today and who you've become? Yeah, I do think it, it it definitely taps into that. And I was having a conversation with a friend from high school a few days ago and we were talking about I don't think that actually changes. Uh-huh. Like I would still consider myself a quiet girl, although interestingly enough a lot of people around me would not necessarily give me that tag. <laughs> but it it's the quiet girls, I think, first of all, the quiet girls, when I'm talking to them, I don't have to define who they are. They know who they are and mm. they come, they self-identify. Right. So, and, and interestingly, again, enough, I, a lot of them will say people wouldn't necessarily suspect that I am because I can force myself to go, but I don't feel good about it. I can force myself to go and talk to people, but I, my stomach is churning inside or so it doesn't necessarily appear to the outside world, but they consider themselves to be quiet. And I don't think that is a characteristic that necessarily changes. You may gain more confidence and feel more comfortable walking into that room, but I don't think that somebody can go from being a quiet girl in childhood or in your youth or at some point to automatically becoming super gregarious and outgoing and, you know, the the life of a party, essentially, your character doesn't change. And so once you consider yourself a quiet girl, I think you would essentially consider yourself that throughout your life. You just learn how to use those strengths to your advantage. Yeah, I was going to say, yeah, you just kind of learn and collect more tools so you can basically use what you need to in different situations. So that's great that you're actually providing those tools. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah. exactly. So where, where does it go from here? You know, you've had this business for 11 years. Now you have this um, really cool concept of a business as well. And uh, you're focusing on speaking. You know, what, where do you see the quiet girls going? Where do you see yourself going in terms of career and business? Um, and just how do you see your progress so far? You know, what does that look like? and feel like really this is such a new business it's really only a few months old in terms of being a business because i think i've been helping uh-huh. colleagues and, <laughs> and people i know for many years do exactly this and helping them with the networking and the and the the marketing and figuring out things like who their target market is and what is their message because that all comes into play when you need to feel comfortable talking to other people about what you do. I see it moving forward as a coaching and speaking business. So right now I have what I call the quick start program for, to help people get, get right into being able to walk into that room and network and to do it strategically to know, okay, where should I be going? What, what events would make the most sense for me? Where do I meet my ideal people? And and that. And then that becomes moving from that into a three-month coaching program for to help refine the marketing message and the networking focus for people. And the speaking. So Again, I, I would love to be on all kinds of stages at all kinds of events. And the irony, somewhat irony of that is that my quiet girls may not be in the audience because they're afraid to come to those events. So, right, that's which, right. Which is, why, which is why it's great to be able to do podcasts like yours where I can talk about my message and, and reach the people who need to hear it who may feel more comfortable listening online as opposed to going out to an event right right now. Right. Well, what's the, you know, well, now that you have uh, possibly the audience listening in right now are those personalities that would rather be on the webinar and connect organically, you know, what are some of the um, advantages and tips to, excuse me, to really being out there and helping them kind of go through, get over the hurdle of nervousness or anxiety, even to, to some degrees of getting them to these networking events and meeting people face to face. What have you found to be uh, its value? One of the, the tips that I offer to people is to look at going to networking events as somewhat of an experiment. So you're going to have conversations. So first of all, look at it as you're going to an event you're going to make some new friends. It's, there's no pressure. Most people, in fact, I can't even remember ever doing this myself or hearing about anybody going to an event, a networking event and walking away with, you know, a signed contract. Like it just, (laughs) you don't necessarily get business at a networking event. You're, you're starting a relationship. And when you think about what is the definition of networking, it's really, it's not selling. Mm-hmm. And it's not marketing. It's starting a relationship. And how do you start a relationship? Well, you start with a conversation. 
So it's really just about starting a conversation. And if you look at it that way, you're going to make a friend, start a conversation and make a friend, then that helps make it a little bit less intimidating. And then when you look at it from the perspective of, okay, what are quiet girls good at? Well, we're good at listening. So if you can come up with some questions, and that's one of the things I help do, but come up with some questions about, it doesn't even necessarily have to be about business. I mean, we, we live in a time where everybody's going to go, so what do you do? And what do you do? And sure, you need to be able to answer that question, but you don't have to stick on that. You could then pose a question like, what, what kind of volunteer work do you do? Or what do you love doing in your free time? Or what gets you really excited about waking up in the morning? And get into a, a deeper conversation than just, oh, these are great hors d'oeuvres, you know? <laughs> That's right. Well, when you were going through all the networking events and you said, you know, some of the some of the times you felt like the stomach churning, right? You said stomach churning hours that you spent. Um, how do you actually overcome that? Because, you know, when you feel that even before you get to the event, how do you push through to show up? It's so easy to just say, I don't feel like it. <laughs> Right. You know, yeah. I'll just stay home. Oh, it's only 25 bucks or $50. It's okay. I just, and then you give yourself excuses to not show up. Um, how did you overcome that? Because, you know, I have plenty of people in my life who also struggle with this. And this is why I value the work that you do. Uh, they have so much to offer. They're, they're, there's so much passion there and so much, so many gifts inside of them. Um, but then this, this sense of anxiety or fear um, just takes that away and disempowers them to show up and give what they're, what they're supposed to give to us. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Two things. One is to connect with, see if you can connect with some people, one person, two people online before you go to the event. Mm. A lot of events list the attendees on a website or somewhere, you know, a list of people who've signed up to go. And you can take a look at that list and do a little research. I don't, I'm not recommending anybody becomes a stalker, but (laughs) you can, LinkedIn is a fantastic tool. Right. You can look, look up people and see, oh, where did they go to school or what do they, you know, what's their current job? Is there some commonality that you can use to connect with someone and then reach out online safely from behind your computer and say, Hey, I I saw that you were signed up to go to this event and I was looking at your LinkedIn profile and I saw that you also went to American university or whatever you have in common with this person. And I look forward to meeting you there. And now when you go to the event, you have someone specific to look for, and something to perhaps talk with them about once you find them. And so it's a little bit less intimidating than just walking into a complete room full of strangers. Yes, you still don't really know the person, but you've made a connection before you even get there. That's a great idea. And then the second thing is if you believe in a higher power that when you're feeling that anxiety to just 
take a deep breath and say, I have something that someone needs to know about and, and ask for the right words to come to you mm-hmm. when you get there. I do that before I get on stage, before I do an interview. I just kind of take maybe even 30 seconds to just ask for the right words to reach whomever needs to hear that. Yeah. Well, and even for those that uh, do not believe in a higher power and they're more scientific in their approach, a lot of self-talk really does help too. You know, sitting in the parking lot before you show up, looking in the mirror and just really reminding yourself and just a lot of loving words to self also helps, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, tap into your inner strength. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Because I think that's really what it comes down like finding a way to calm yourself and calm the, 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 the self-doubt and all the voices in our heads <laughs> because it just takes over and then we basically... Um, don't show up. And I think, you know, we hear and we read a lot about this in leadership, right? Is uh, most of it is about showing up. It's going to places that you've never been to, saying yes to opportunities that make you feel really uncomfortable (laughs) and trusting that it'll lead you somewhere um, further along than you are now. Exactly, exactly. And one of the exercises that I do with my coaching clients and my quick start program clients is ask them, at the beginning of our conversation, why are you doing what you're doing? Why are you in this business? Whether it's, it's your own business or you're working for someone else, it doesn't matter whatever you're doing. Why are you doing this as opposed to the 900 other choices that you could have made or could make? Why is it this business? Why is this so important to you? And tapping into that why and going back to that place when you feel intimidated or apprehensive about going into a networking situation, if you can remind yourself why you're doing it, it gives you a little bit more strength to push through that uncomfortableness and, and force yourself to go do it. That's great. Wow. Well, thank you, Lori. Thank you so much for the great tips. And they were very practical tips. I, I love um, just the, the idea that you shared about really researching before you show up, you know, getting a list or even um, taking that further step and contacting the organizers and asking them the types of people that will be there just so you know kind of in the room what you're, what you're going to be experiencing. I love that mm-hmm. idea very much. Um, can you share with our audience how they can reach you, learn more about you? to uh, access your coaching programs? Certainly, yeah. The The Quiet Girls is at thequietgirls.com. My Facebook, facebook.com, uh, the, the Quiet Girls face, is the Facebook page as well. And you can find me on LinkedIn. And what else? And, oh, and a reminder about the uh, report, the free report that is right. available, um, uh, the five relationship building mistakes quiet entrepreneurs make and what to do instead. And that is available at thequietgirls.com forward slash five mistakes. Yes. Awesome. Great information that we did not talk about today. 
<laughs> in that report. Well, that's good. That means that they'll have to go and check it out. And we'll have you definitely come back on the podcast as your business grows and evolves. We'd love to be on that journey with you, Lori. Wish you Fantastic. all the best. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in to another episode of the SOAR Community Network podcast. Uh, We're always here to deliver some great insights, share some powerful journeys with these wonderful, wonderful uh, leaders and entrepreneurs who really are choosing their gifts and their talents to share with us the world. So thank you again, Lori. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in. And we will see you, talk to you very soon. Bye-bye. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of SOAR Podcast. Join us by visiting soarcommunitynetwork.com.